At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Humans have a history of hostility. As far back as we can go, wherever we find human remains, we also find weapons, and this isn't just for hunting food, but it is for hunting each other. Everywhere you go, uh, indigenous tribes in Africa, Australia, uh, the Native Americans here in the United States, uh, North and South Vietnamese, today in Israel and all over the Middle East, there is hostility amongst humans and humanity. There seems to be this intrinsic need in humans to create tribes and groups and sects and to draw dividing lines amongst them, and whoever is on the other side is evil, and whoever is on your side is good. We tend to want to um, collect around people who look like us, act like us, smell like us, talk like us, and form a tribe and a group. And whoever does not look like you, smell like you, act like you, talk like you, uh, is absolutely and totally evil. We tend to form tribes. It's what we do. I mean, who in here remembers the high school lunchroom? Okay, for some of you, it was a lot longer back than it was for me. Um, but, but we remember that the, the dividing lines were so clear as you walked into the high school lunchroom. This group of people sat here. This group of people sat here. Um, and, and so even from just coming up as, as uh, high school students through school, but, but as we continue to grow older, we still do the same thing. We draw dividing lines. We create tribes and groups and try to stick to ourselves because if you are with a group of people who is exactly like you, they think like you, they act like you, and they talk like you, it's very easy to express your ideas or thoughts or feelings without feeling much fear. Um, Chelsea and I were in Glasgow, Scotland, and we were with some friends and we were walking around the city and they informed us that uh, we had to be very careful about what, what colors we wore around the city in Glasgow. And I said to my friend who is uh, a native Glaswegian, I, I said, what's the deal? I mean, are the gangs that bad here? He said, gangs? No, not gangs, soccer fans. <laughs> and he was dead serious. If, if you were to wear Celtic colors in Ranger territory or the other way around, like they would beat you. And, and, and so again, it's that idea of they had united themselves around, I'm sorry, football. Uh, they, they had united themselves around soccer or football and their team was their team so much so that if you showed up in their town, uh, in their side of the city wearing the other opposing team's colors, they would uh, basically give you what they call a Glasgow smile, which they break a glass bottle and cut your face. Uh, I mean, and like, and I'm not making this stuff up. This is real. And, and I, 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 t- I share that story with you to show the depths of the human's heart desire to create tribes, to create people around you um, that are just like you. Uh, as humans, it seems that we seek to identify ourselves with a tribe. Now, we do this, um, and when we idolize certain characteristics, 
we demonize the other characteristics. Again, has anyone been watching anything about politics at all? As, as soon as you uh, identify this is my tribe, this is my people, then anything that the opposing tribe or team says is automatically evil and wrong and stupid and wrongheaded. And, and, it, and it, it's that, that great desire to create opposites, th- those, those polar opposites. Now, the need to create insiders and outsiders was no different in Jesus' day. It was actually more intense. The the Jewish world in which Jesus entered into was intensely, extremely sexist and racist. You see, if you were um, on the totem pole, uh, at the very top, you were a Jewish man. Okay, in this society, in the society Jesus enters into, Jewish men are at the top of the totem pole. Okay, now, down the totem pole, way down the totem pole, would have been Jewish women who were not allowed to own land and properties, were not allowed to speak in the court of law. And then way, 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 way down the totem pole would have been any and all Gentiles, meaning anyone who is not Jewish. Okay, that, that's it. They, they were nationalistic. They were racist people. Uh, they were highly sexist, believing that men were far superior. And this is the world that Jesus enters into. And a quick understanding of biblical history helps us understand how this society reached uh, where they were at this time. You see, God had chosen a man named Abraham, and he had went to Abraham and told him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel is going to be my chosen people. I'm going to choose to bless the entire world through this great nation of Israel. The problem is they began to become proud because they were the chosen people. They began to believe, oh, God loves us more than he loves anyone else. We are the chosen people. God gave us the covenants. He gave us the law. He gave us all this great stuff. And and some Jewish people began to believe that all Gentiles were created for is simply to fuel the fires of hell. Um, Gentile, uh, G- Gentile people were so hated by the Jewish people that, that Jewish people, if they were traveling through a Gentile area, they would actually travel miles and miles just to go around the town so they wouldn't have to go through a Gentile town. If they did have to travel through a Gentile town, um, they would carry their own um, uh, dishes and cups and things like that so they wouldn't have to eat after them or drink after them. After they left a Gentile town, they would go through all sorts of ritual cleansing so that they, they wouldn't be uh, made dirty by the Gentiles. I mean, th- th- this is a, a highly hostile and hated relationship all because God had chosen them and made them his chosen people and they believed we're better than everyone else now. Now, what makes that so crazy is the reason God chose them. The reason God chose them is because they were the weakest. And and God told them that specifically. I'm making you my chosen people, not because you're the biggest and baddest and most awesome, but I'm choosing you as my chosen people because you are the weakest among all of the nations. But the Jewish people began to believe that they were better than everyone else and a sense of nationalistic pride began to well up in them. You see, God had created the, the people of Israel to be the channel of his love flowing to all the nations, but instead the Jewish people made themselves to be a cistern or a bucket which held all of it in. So this is what we see 
in the Old Testament and what developed in the Jewish people this sense of pride, this sense of racism. Now, as we move into the New Testament, we know this doesn't change much as Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost. And some were proselytes, meaning they were non-Jews who had converted to Judaism. And so now we have a religion uh, filled with Jews and some Gentiles. We have um, Hellenistic Jews and um, kind of more proper Jews. By Acts 6, we have a huge problem. You see, the Jewish widows are being served, but the other Hellenistic Jewish widows or uh, the Gentile Jewish widows uh, are not being served at all, and it causes a huge issue in the church. By Acts 15, uh, there is about to be a massive church split because all of these Gentile peoples have gotten saved, but they're not following the old Jewish traditions and customs, and, and the church is about to split and explode. Again, all coming back to this very nationalistic, um, racist tendency that was found in the Jewish people. And the truth is, in our day, it is not much different. There is still great hostility within the church. Friends, if you are not aware, there is still great racial hostility in the church, particularly in the South. You see, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream had a massive effect on the community, but sadly, it did not make it into the church. And Martin Luther King Jr. himself said that the most divided hour in America is Sunday morning, and he is absolutely true. There is still racial hostility in the church and the South. There is denominational hostility in the church, believing that, hey, this denomination is better than this denomination, and we draw deep dividing lines, and if you're over here, then we're against you over here, even though we're all supposed to be united in Christ. There is preferential hostility in the church, basically just basic human sectarianism. Again, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. And so some people might, might be the you know, hands-in-the-air type people. Some people are hands-in-the-pocket type people. Um, you know, so, some people like uh, hymns, some people like it louder, some people like it more quiet, some people like the preaching very short, some people like the preaching, well, nobody likes the preaching very long except for the preacher, but, <laughs> but, but we tend to want to go to churches where people are like us. And the sad truth of the matter is, even here at Gospel Community Church, older couples have left our church. Why? Because we don't have a lot of Older couples, families with teenagers have left our church. Why? Because we don't have a lot of teenagers, college students, and, and singles have left our church because there's not a lot of people like them. That's the reality of it. Now, why do I say all of that and go through such a lengthy introduction? Well, here's the reason. Today in our text, we're going to see Jesus clearly and unashamedly step across racial social and religious barriers because this is why he came. <laughs> this is why Jesus comes to step across racial barriers, to step across social barriers, uh, to, to step across cultural barriers and to unite all peoples through the blood of his cross. He, he comes to say, okay, here are the African-American peoples. Here are white peoples. Here are people who like to put their hands in the air. Here are people who like to put their hands in their pockets. And here is what I seek to do through the blood of my cross is unite all peoples together under the banner of Jesus Christ. This is what he comes to do. Listen to Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both 
one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Friends, in our country, particularly in the South, there is a great dividing wall of hostility between races, between denominations, and what Jesus says is, in my flesh, in my person, I have come to tear down those dividing walls and unite people together under the gospel. Here's how he does it. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. That, that, here's what Jesus does. He creates one new ethnos. He creates one new race of people. This is what Jesus comes to do. One new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to kill the hostility that is deep inside of us as we, as we seek to create our own tribes, our own people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, smell like us, as we, as we seek to create those tribes and create hostility towards anyone who's not like us. Jesus comes to tear down that barrier so that there can be peace uh, among all peoples. Listen to this. Basic human nature fails to see the value in diversity, but by his grace, Jesus comes to diversify his people. This is what Jesus wants to do in his church. You see, our churches should look like our community. The, the church should look like what the community looks like. So if, if you go to a restaurant and you look around, you're not going to see the same type of people. They're going to be different type of people, different political backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. And this is what the church should look like. If the church doesn't look like that, here's what it means. It means we're uniting under something other than the gospel. Wow. So the question becomes... What does a redneck white boy like me have in common with an African-American from the inner city? Well, here's what we have in common. If we're both Christians, we're united in Christ. We, we threw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. That, that's, that's what we have in common. You see, we're both reconciled by God through the cross. The church should be the epicenter of peace and reconciliation. You see, the, the world, listen, the world simply does not have a mechanism for reconciliation, particularly racial reconciliation. Our, our country right now is crying out for the answer for racial reconciliation. We're trying to figure it. This is why people are marching in the streets. This is, this is what's going on. The world is crying out for a solution for reconciliation, and the world simply doesn't have the mechanism. It doesn't have a way to do it. But guess what? The church has the answer. <laughs> the, the gospel is the answer. You see, the, the gospel not only saves us, but it transforms us, and, and it should infiltrate all areas of our life, reconciling us to others who are not like us. Listen to this. The gospel says, there is safety in Christ, not in people who are just like me. So, so I, don't, I don't have to huddle up with people just like me so that I'm safe. Again, it's, that's why we huddle up with people who are just like us, because it's safe to express all of your political opinions and all of your ideas, because they're just like you, and they're going to amen you and pat you on the back and tell you you're brilliant because they agree with you. But it's dangerous to step outside of that and get around people who are not like you, who don't come from the same economic background, who don't come from the same racial background, who, do, who, who don't have all the same views, because when you start to express things, you might figure out that maybe you're wrong. But here's the good news. Again, the gospel says there is safety in Christ. Because I'm not, I'm not placing my worth on what this person thinks about me. I'm placing my worth in Christ. And so it's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay to express those ideas. 
Here's what is so brilliant about Jesus. Jesus does not take the Gentiles and make them more Jewish, nor does he take the Jewish people and make them more like Gentiles. He creates one new race of people, no longer black, no longer white, no longer Hispanic or Asian, but Christian. Now, does this mean that we should all look the same and all dress the same and all act the same? No, this frees us up to celebrate cultural differences because we're united in Christ. So, verse 24, let's get to the text. Okay. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Um, if, if you're a nerd like me, when you come across uh, these type of geographical references, Tyre and Sidon, uh, you'll take your Bible and you'll flip to the back where these fancy maps are, okay? Maps in the back, they're, they're awesome. And you can find, uh, should be able to find this one, it says Palestine in the time of Jesus. And then, you know, you'll see this little thing down here where it tells you how many miles it is, you know, like that. And so you'll go, okay, where's Jesus at there? And so he went all the way up to Tyre. Wow, that's like a 40-mile hike. Jesus leaves where he is. I mean, just in verse 24, and from there, he's in Capernaum. He's around the Sea of Galilee, okay? And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Again, he leaves where he is and goes on a 40-mile hike through the mountains. Okay, he didn't take a bus, didn't take a plane. He walked through the mountains for 40 miles. So, so, so you have to stop and go, okay, why? Why is he taking a 40-mile hike through the mountains? This doesn't seem to make sense. In addition, it's not a place where good Jewish rabbis should go. Okay, so not only is it a 40-mile hike with, you know, 11 other dudes, 12 other dudes through the mountains, it's also not a place, Tyre and Sidon is not a place a good Jewish rabbi should go. This is Gentile territory, okay? There's not just racial tension between the Jews and Gentiles. There's racial hatred. In addition, Tyre is the hometown of a lady named Jezebel. So even if you don't know the biblical story about Jezebel, you know if you call someone a Jezebel, it's not good. And this is this lady's hometown. Okay? If you quickly, if you don't know the story, Jezebel is the woman from the Old Testament who enticed her husband to leave behind the worship of Yahweh God and persecuted the prophets of God. And in more recent past, closer to Jesus' day, the people from this area and region had joined up with an opposing army to attack Jerusalem. So again, Tyre and Sidon is a 40-mile hike northwest through the mountains, and it's not a place a good Jewish rabbi should go. So the question must remain, why does Jesus make this trip? Well, here's why because he is putting on display that he is not just a Jewish savior with Jewish followers. He is showing us that he is the God who makes all outsiders insiders. He is the God of all peoples and all nations. See, again, God had chosen to bless the world through Israel. This is God's plan. This is God 
unfolding his redemptive historical plan, and he chooses the nation of Israel to bless the entire world through. So, so God's plan was not just to save Israel and Israelites, but it was to save all peoples everywhere. And so that power, that truth, the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, comes through the nation of Israel. But what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry is showing the world that these Gentile peoples, most of us in the room, these Gentile peoples um, are a part of God's redemptive historical plan. That, that's why he makes the 40-mile hike. That's why he goes into this hostile territory to show us that we are a part of his plan. Now, it says that he entered a house, okay, and, and he didn't want anybody to know he was there. Um, so as you know, ministry has been really intense for Jesus. Uh, he, he, um, it, it said several times now that the disciples were finding it hard to even find time to stop and eat because so many people are coming to him. They're wanting him to heal them. Uh, he's being asked to preach and do all these things. So he's trying to get a little bit of rest. He goes into Gentile territory to find a little rest before he starts to minister to the Gentiles, but no such luck. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. We know that uh, from Mark chapter 3 verse 8 that as he was preaching, people from this area have already come to hear him preach and have gone back home and have likely begun to spread the name and the fame and the glory of Jesus there. And so he doesn't even find time uh, in <laughs> way far away from Jerusalem and, and where he was ministering. Way far away, he still doesn't find any rest before he begins his ministry to the Gentiles. Let's take a look at what happens next. Verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter was, <clears throat> had an unclean spirit, uh, spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon. Verse 26 uh, is essentially um, three steps down the pathway of rejection. It is three flights of stairs into the dungeon of uncleanness. Look at back at verse 26. You have to see that Mark is building this up for us. Look at 26. Now, the woman was a Gentile and a Syrophoenician. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. He, he is showing us the systematic uncleanness or the um, unelibility uh, of, of this woman. She is uneligible um, to come close to Jesus. First, she is a woman looked down upon in all of society, could not own property, could not speak in the court of law. They were certainly beneath all men in this society. Second, she was a Gentile, not loved by God, not his chosen people. She did not have the law. She did not have the prophets or the promises. The Jews viewed them as sub human. And third, she was a Syrophoenician from this area um, of uh, Tyre where, where she was from. The Jewish historian Josephus noted that the inhabitants of Tyre were notoriously our most bitter enemies. Okay? They hated one another. And here's this woman with three strikes against her. Now, here's what I want you to see in chapter 7, okay? Glance back at um, what Pastor David led us through last week. You see this interaction with Jesus and who? The scribes and the Pharisees. 
That's what we looked at last week. So you have this interaction with Jesus and scribes and Pharisees. These guys were what? Socially, culturally, racially accepted. They're in. If anybody has it under control, if anybody is accepted by God, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. They have everything going for them. They're Jewish, they're men, they're highly religious, they're respected in the community. Of course, they're gonna be accepted by God. Of course, God is so excited about how awesome they are, right? But Mark in, in this chapter is drawing us this juxtaposition between these people who were the insiders, the scribes and the Pharisees, ultra-religious insiders. They're on the inside track. They wear the right clothes. They say the right words. They look the right way. Everybody loves and respects them. On the other side, you have a Gentile Syrophoenician woman, a total outsider. But here is what we're seeing in this text. Listen to this. Anyone who thinks that they are an insider because of what they bring to the table is actually an outsider. But anyone who acknowledges that they're an outsider and falls on the grace of Jesus is actually an insider. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we're seeing in this text. These scribes and Pharisees believed that they were the insiders. And because they believed they were the insiders, they were actually the outsiders. And here is this woman who knows that she's an outsider and throws herself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And in the end, at the end of the story, we're going to see she's the one that actually becomes the insider. Okay. Though she is an outsider she shows herself to have the one qualification that she needs. Look back at verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. What does she have? Uh, is she socially on the inside? Is she culturally on the inside? Does she have anything here to bring to the table? Absolutely not. Here's the one thing that she has. Desperation. Desperation is all this woman has. She, her daughter is, is being plagued by this demon. And you can imagine her being a Gentile. She's probably gone through all of the ritual rites. She's said all this, sang all the songs, done everything that she can do to see if she can um, you know, get her daughter healed or, or, or get this demon out of her daughter. But it simply does not work. And so she finds herself in this place of desperation to where she is falling on her face at the feet of Jesus. Now, here's what I want us to learn from this woman. Desperation is the great uniting factor. Because there's that giant gap. Again, we all know we like to be around people who are like us, who look like us, talk like us, smell like us, act like us, believe the same things we believe. So how do we cross that line? How are we going to see, um, particularly the church in the South, unite? Well, it is going to have to be out of a heart of desperation. You see, when you are desperate, social, cultural, and racial barriers no longer matter. The skin color of the person next to you does not bother you. Oh, you're black and I'm white? Well, we're both in desperate need of Jesus, right? I'm a little bit country, you're a little bit rock and roll. Who cares? Right? Who cares? We, we both need Jesus. You like hymns and I like contemporary or you're a hands in the air. I'm a hands in the pockets. We both are in desperate need for Jesus. I'm dry and parched and hungry and I need living water and fresh bread of life. We are both united in the desperation of Jesus Christ. 
So again, what is going to unite the church in the South? Answer, a desperation for the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to be saved by him. I need to be continually being saved and protected by him so I can be in a constant state of desperation for Christ. And when other people around me, even though they don't look like me, their skin color isn't the same color as mine, they come from different backgrounds as me, what we're united in is that we're desperate for Christ. We need him. We need him. So people who are starving don't argue over the type of plate that the bread is on, do they? We need the bread. We need the bread of life. We need Jesus. So it's not about, oh, I was really hoping for a styrofoam plate. You know, and this person over here, well, you know, I'm actually kind of more world and, you know, economic conscious. I would like a, a biodegradable paper plate, if you don't mind. You know, the fancy person says, oh, no, no, let's get out the good china if we're going to be serving bread. No starving people argue over the plate. So, Friends, don't you know that you are outside the family? You don't have a claim on the gift. You don't bring anything to the table. So how is it possible that we think ourselves superior to anyone else? All we can do is fall at his feet. Now, what Jesus says next... um, has caused the casual reader and many scholars great consternation uh, because it seems to be chauvinistic. Okay, Let's take a look at verse 27 and see if we can wade our way through it. Verse 27. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, Jesus, (laughs) what are you saying here? Because it seems like you just called this lady who fell down at your feet a dog. Okay, the parable or the analogy here couldn't be more clear. The children in the analogy are the children of Israel. The bread is the living bread or the bread of salvation. It is the message of the cross. And the dog here in the analogy is Gentile peoples, more specifically because she is the Gentile who has thrown herself at his feet. In the analogy, she is the dog. So what do we do with that? Uh, Well, I've jotted down five notes to maybe help us navigate our way through this. First, we must take into consideration Jesus' track record. Now, does Jesus have a track record of maliciously calling people names? No. Does Jesus have a track record of being chauvinistic in nature? No. Okay. Um, Absolutely not. So let's start there. Jesus does not have a track record um, of being chauvinistic or maliciously uh, name calling. Number two, we must understand the cultural context. Now, When we think of the word dog, um, you can really go two ways with it, can't you? In in our culture, our our cultural understanding of of this word, dog, right? You you might call someone a dog if they are particularly gross or, you know, yeah, that guy's a sick dog, ew. You know, like, so that's that's one part. Or you could say, hey, man, what's up, dog? You know, so there's there's two... 
two diverging definitions, and I, I wanted to show you those two because they are applying our cultural context or our cultural definition of this word to where some might use it to slander a woman um, or, or, you know, again, say that someone is gross or, or sick. Uh, another one might say, yeah, man, that, that's my dog. That's, that's, I, I love this guy. He's my, you know. So, so we're, we're taking our cultural understanding of a word and putting it into this definition, which is improper for us to do. We need to understand this cultural context, where it's coming from. Um, what's happening here is that dogs in those days, they lived outside of the city walls, and dogs would eat garbage and dead things. And they were, uh, in this day and time, the Jewish people would have considered them unclean because they came in contact with dead things and ate garbage. Okay? So when, when dog is used here, it is simply meaning unclean, religiously unclean. Okay? So we can remove our cultural definition and understand what Jesus is using it as. We must understand the cultural context. Number three, we must understand that this is not a derogatory term towards women in particular. Okay? So he's not singling her out as a woman and calling her dog. This term refers to all people not Jewish, okay? all unclean people. Fourth, we must note the priority. Look back at the verse. And he said to her, let the children be fed, what? First. So there is a priority in the fact that he's not saying that Gentile peoples are not uh, worthy enough to receive the bread. He's saying there's an order to who receives the bread. The, the children eat first and whatever's left over goes to the dog. So what is happening? Here it is, my, my fifth and final point to help us kind of navigate through this, and maybe you can jot this down. It says this, Jesus is using the cultural context to state a problem to one of his children to draw out an answer. Okay, think about that. He's using the cultural context. Again, this society, this culture uses this word to describe someone who is non-Jewish. So he is using it to draw her out because he wants to communicate with her. Now, we do this with our children, okay? We state a problem in order to draw them out. So my daughter is getting ready for kindergarten, okay? And so we're having these convers all kind of conversations about school and, and what she's going to be doing. And I might say something like this. I might say, you know, Lydia, only girls who listen and obey get to go to kindergarten, Okay, so, so I've stated a problem. Now, you could take that out of context and be like, oh, way to go, father of the year. You just, you just said to your daughter that she's totally rebellious and can't hack it in kindergarten. What, do, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? You're terrible, you know, you're horrible. But what I'm doing is I'm stating a problem to draw her out. You know, only you know, girls who listen and obey can get to go to kindergarten. And she says, but daddy, I'm going to really try to listen and obey my teachers. Okay, cool. So, so I've used that tool as a mechanism to draw her out. And, and the reason that I know that's happening here in this text is her response. So, so let's look at the response and you'll see how Jesus has used this cultural context to draw her out. Look at her response. So Jesus says, okay, look, first... First, we feed the children, and then after the children are fed, you know, th that's when, you know, the, the bread goes to the dogs. Look, look at this. But she answered, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table 
eat the children's crumbs. You see what she said there? She complimented the father's table as being so abundant that as the children are eating, the the bounty is just pouring over the table and she knows that her need can be met by the father by simply being a dog under the table. She's like, yes, I would love to be a dog under the table. That's essentially her response. She says, yep, that's me. She acknowledges where she is. She says, yes, I am spiritually unclean. Again, that's what dog means. It means spiritually unclean. She's, yep, absolutely, I'm spiritually unclean, but I'm throwing myself on the mercy of God because I believe that his grace is so big, it's so massive, it is gonna flow out from the people of Israel and onto all peoples. That's how massive God's grace is. That's what she's saying. I'd, I'd love to be under the table. Let, let me get the crumbs. I'm not too good for the crumbs is what she's saying. I'm not too good for the crumbs. I'll take, I'll take the crumbs is what she's saying. The provision is so abundant at the father's table that the crumbs overflow. Your, your grace is so abundant. It overflows to the outsider, those who are not in the family. She acknowledges where she is. There is this great sense of humility in this woman. Says, I'm not better than the crumbs. I'll I'll take the crumbs all day. Not only is she desperate, throwing herself at the feet of Jesus, but she's humble. She's humble. She's not saying, hey, I mean, get the kids out of the way. Pull me up a chair to the table. I deserve a seat at the table. Just no. I'm, I'm walking in humility here. I'm willing to be under the table. And again, Friends, if we're going to see any type of walls torn down racially, if we're going to see any walls torn down politically when it comes to uniting in the church, there has to be a great sense of dependency and desperation for Christ, but also a great sense of humility. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Humility is the great uniting factor. You see, I am what Scripture says I am. I am a sinner, and I'll take the crumbs. I'm not better than the crumbs because even the crumbs would be a blessing to the likes of me. Now, friends, let me tell you this. Um, Jesus doesn't give us the crumbs. Uh, like this, this lady saying, hey, I'll take the crumbs. Like I'm, I'm so unworthy. If I could just get the crumbs, I'm not better than the crumbs. And Jesus says, all right, cool. I wasn't going to give you the crumbs in the first place. Here, here's actually what I'm going I'm to I'm gonna give you blessing on top of blessing, stacks on stacks of blessing, more food than you can ever eat or imagine. I'm not giving you the crumbs. I'm, I'm giving you the, the whole table. Uh, listen to Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. You think being seated with Jesus in the heavenly places is crumbs? <laughs> That's not crumbs, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. That's not crumbs. That's that's the whole table. That's the whole spread. That's immeasurable, imaginable. By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. 
It is the gift of God. You see, what is astonishing is that in one sentence, this woman gets it. And sadly, the disciples have heard sermon after sermon and still don't get the parables and analogies. As Jesus says, hey, you guys are like lost sheep and I'm the shepherd. The disciples are like, huh, what does that mean? As, as Jesus says, you guys are like little birds that are worrying about, you know, the birds don't worry about what they're going to eat. Um, as, as, as Jesus says to him, hey, you guys are, are like grass, um, and the grass and the flowers are clothed in beautiful splendor robes. You, don't worry about it, right? And they're like, we just don't get it. I mean, who is the sheep? Who is the birds? Who is the grass? Who is the prodigal son? Jesus, we don't understand who are these people. And Jesus is going, it's you. You're the dumb sheep. That's what I'm trying to say to you. But, but they don't want to enter into, they're not willing to accept that onto themselves where this woman is willing to say, yes, I am unclean and I'm throwing myself at the mercy of Jesus. Verse 29 through 30, we gotta move. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon had gone. Uh, we get a parallel account of this very same story in the Gospel of Matthew. And listen to the way the Gospel of Matthew ends this same account. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was uh, healed instantly. Here's what we need to see from this story. Listen to this. Jesus has the power to turn a dog into a child. <laughs> That's what he does with this woman. She brings nothing to the table. She's got no leg to stand on. She admits, hey, I'm spiritually unclean. I am a dog. And he goes, all right, now you're a child. No longer under the table, but seated at the table as a child. Jesus is putting on display for us his plan of redemptive history as he goes to minister to the Jews first and then that grace moves out to the Greeks and the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul uh, says it this way in Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, the second story that we get is of the same nature. Jesus reaching out to and loving the outsider, taking the outsider and making them an insider. Just take a look at what happens next. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. Okay, so Sidon is another 20 miles north. He, he's, he's not going anywhere closer back to Jerusalem. He's actually going the opposite, deeper into Gentile territory. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. That word Decapolis simply means 10 cities. So he's in that region again. Be nerdly and look it up in the maps in the back of your Bible. It's awesome. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. You've got to understand that these are two pictures, the Syrophoenician woman and this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment are two pictures of outsiders. This man, uh, again, 
He is the wrong race. He is a Gentile. He is a social outcast because in the ancient world, if you could not communicate, you could not work a job, which meant you essentially had to be a beggar. In addition, these people um, were considered cursed by the gods, by the pagans. They said, hey, if, if you're mute or um, if you're deaf or can't communicate, then you're cursed by the gods. In the same way, the Jews believed that if this type, you had this type of affliction, if you were deaf, mute, or blind, that you were being cursed by God for sins that you had committed. And so total outsider. But again, friends, what does Jesus do with outsiders? Jesus takes dogs and turns them into children. He, he makes outsiders into insiders. Listen to this. This guy has no credentials. He has no merit. He has no leg to stand on. But Jesus does not see human status. He sees human need. He, he sees where we are. It's not what we bring to the table. It's what Jesus brought to the cross. Verses 33 through 35. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he signed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, usually Jesus speaks a word and the person is healed. Here, there's this whole thing where he puts his fingers in the guy's ears. He like spits in his hand and touches the guy's tongue and everybody's like freaked out about it and should he use hand sanitizer? And he's like, he's looking up to heaven and he's talking and doing all this stuff. What's he doing? Because usually it's just demon come out or man be healed or get up and walk. He puts his fingers into his ears to show this man who cannot hear I'm about to heal your ears. They don't have modern sign languages, so Jesus is communicating to this outsider in a language that he can understand. He takes his fingers and puts them into the man's ears to say, I'm about to unstop your ears. He spits into his hand and places it on his tongue to say, I'm about to heal your speech. He looks up to heaven because he wants to show this man that this isn't some type of magic trick, but that the power is coming from heaven. And he takes this deep sigh. Did you, did you see that? And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers into his ears, spitting and his hand touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, showing that Jesus is crushed and finds and feels pain for what this man has gone through and experienced. Friends, if you are the outsider, Jesus loves you, and he has deep heart and compassion for what you've gone through and what you've experienced and the pain in your life. Jesus connects with that. He, you have to see Jesus is invading this man's space in every way possible from putting his fingers into his ears to putting his own saliva in this man's mouth. He is, he is invading his space and going where he is to connect with him and to set him free from all bondage. So his ears were open and his tongue was released. Amazingly, in the Greek, this word, his tongue was released, means that the chains were broken. The, the chains were broken off of this man's tongue. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed. Now, it's never good to disobey the Lord Jesus, but here you kind of understand the guy who couldn't hear and had a speech impediment who couldn't say anything now can say something and has something to say. 
But Jesus tells him, hey, don't tell anybody. We uh, can only make the speculation that Jesus knows that his mission ultimately is not to heal people, uh, but to go to the cross and die in their place for their sins um, so that they might have a way to heaven. And so he doesn't want to be known just as the miracle worker. He wants to be known as the Savior who dies in our place for our sins. And so he tries to um, quiet the spread of his compassion, but it doesn't work. They continue to go throughout everywhere and proclaim what Jesus has done. Jesus takes this man who was an outsider, wrong race, Uh, disabled an outsider and makes him an insider. Jesus takes this woman who was a total outsider and transforms her into an insider, showing that barriers, racial barriers, cultural barriers need to be broken down through the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. He is showing us that. He is putting this on display. Listen, this is so important. Jesus is putting on display what the kingdom is going to be like. He, he's showing us by connecting with this Syrophoenician woman, showing us where she is going to be at in the kingdom. Where is this woman going to be at in the kingdom in the final return? She is going to be sat at the table with the children. Where is this man who cannot hear and cannot speak? What is he going to be doing? Well, he is going to be speaking and singing in the kingdom. This is a picture of what the final kingdom is going to be. This is a picture of what Isaiah 35, 3 through 7 says. The mute will speak. (laughs) Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. This is Isaiah picturing the final coming of the kingdom when Jesus finally and fully completely returns to inaugurate his kingdom. It says this, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. This is what Jesus just did. He is putting on display what the kingdom is going to be like. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground, springs of water, in the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. This is a beautiful picture of when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, all people from all nations, black, white, African, Asian, Hispanic, all peoples, all Christians uniting under the King Jesus to sing his praises for forever. And so look, if you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. It's not going to be fun for you. If you want everybody there to look like you, talk like you, act like you, for everybody to be white Republicans, you're going to be really disappointed because that's not what heaven is. Heaven is all nations gathered together, not looking the same, acting the same way, talking the same way, but celebrating diversity and including people that are different, all united under the banner of Jesus. And friends, listen, we are called to be ambassadors of this kingdom, which means we need to strive to make the church look like that today. 
We're not going to get there ever, okay, because it's only going to be perfect when Jesus comes back. But that doesn't mean that we stop trying. It doesn't mean we stop fighting. It means that we acknowledge the issues that are happening in the church in the South. We acknowledge racism. We acknowledge um, that, that, that politics can tear churches apart. We, and we say we're not united under race. We're not united under politics. We're not united under style of music, but we're united under Jesus Christ. And we use that, that dependence on Christ and humility to bring in diversity into the church. Because the world is never going to believe it unless they see it really happening. I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, it has been our heart's cry at this church from day one to see a church that looks like our city, a diverse church, uh, a church full of people who are from different racial backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. That has been our prayer from day one. And Lord, we ask that you would bless this church in that way. Lord, use Gospel Community Church to be a light to the world the world who is looking for some type of mechanism to unite peoples who are different, the world who is looking for a mechanism of reconciliation, let Gospel Community Church be a light and an example of how to unite under the gospel of Jesus. We beg and plead with you, Lord. Um, would you soften our hearts? Would you help us to be humble and dependent on you? Would you keep us ever willing to change, Lord? Let us not be set in our ways of stylistic music. Let us not be set in our ways of, of style, but let us be set in our ways about the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel. Um, but let us not be set in our ways on anything else so that we might change, so that we might become who you want us to be, a diverse church um, here in the South. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.